This, my sweet, is a letter from my solicitor. What's happening? Telling you that your husband has no. filed a petition for divorce. No, no, no. It also tells you to get yourself a solicitor pretty damn quick. No, it cannot be. Happy Christmas, eh? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the corner of Doctor Who fandom that returns you to a simpler time in life when you could trust Leslie Granfin with a video link. It's the Polis Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. I'm Dave. And I'm Cameron. So, after an hour and a half ordeal, we're finally ready to go tonight to start recording. It's nothing like the ordeal that usually is after the hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) The exclusive YouTube content, you mean? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the exclusive YouTube com- content, yeah, that we'll uh, put up online and it'll just be Lee swearing at, like, three computers at once. It's, I yeah. think it's a, it's an archetypal picture of modern man, I think. It's not the sort of thing it should be made light of, 90 minutes spent in the grip of Windows updates. Not really, no. It'd be like, the, you, you might as well sort of re-record the start of 2001 A Space Odyssey, and you know, instead of monkeys just battering bones around, it's just you shouting at computers. And eventually, you throw one of them in the air and it becomes a starship. And not only that, just after the Windows update's completed and I was getting ready to go on Skype, I've now had to shut the window because our next door neighbours have decided that half past nine at night is a perfect time to start trimming your hedge. Nice. Wow. Is that why you're all red in the face? Yeah, that is why I'm roasting. To be honest, I'm clammier than John Leslie's palms every time a squad car goes past his house. (laughs) It's amazing what John Leslie could do with sticky back plastic, though. See, I think that's why people listen to this. It's for the up-to-date humour. <laughs> the the up-to-date humour regarding British television presenters that no one yeah. outside these islands yeah. probably know of. Yeah, we only accused three years ago and was last on the telly about 20. So, you know, it's yeah. finger on the pub stuff. It's fine, it's fine. It's all right, it's finger on the pub stuff. It's okay. John Sorry, his fingers in the beer. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere, my lids. Honestly. Daddy, Honestly. who's John Leslie? Well, he used to present Blue Peter. Daddy, what's Blue Peter? Well, it used to be on BBC One. Daddy, what's BBC One? <sighs> anyway, it wasn't his fingers, it was a washing up bottle. <laughs> Brings a whole new concept to Button Moon. <laughs> Let's not follow Mr. Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to Button Moon. Let's follow Mr. Spoon into court. Into court. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's wow. right. It's the UK's most litigious podcast. <laughs> yeah. You can't even bloody like defame oh. a plastic puppet. I, I thought he was going to go off on there. You can't say anything you want to these days. Political correctness gone mad. <laughs> it's political correctness gone mad. Gone mad, I say. This bloody political correctness came in, started making things all mental, didn't it? 
That's a bad thing. You could make jokes about the Moomins getting felched, not anymore. <laughs> no, no, you couldn't do, could you? No, it just wasn't right. So before we move on, does anyone want to besmirch Rasta Mouse's character, or are we, uh, are we, are we stopping at the wooden spoons? No, but I was a witness of Finger Mouse being drowned. <laughs> but this is probably a story that I've already told in a previous podcast. So I'll you have actually, yeah. That's... Yeah. <laughs> but we're still recovering from the trauma. Business. I'll shut up now. <laughs> Not for the whole podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be really great. Okay. Let, let, let's leave Mr. Spin alone because Peter Davison will be upset and quite by chance of doing one of his episodes on today's uh, Polis Box. I Smooth. set that segue up for you. Hope you appreciate another, that. Another seamless segue. Oh, yes. You but can before we do that, your list of usable segues. But before we do that, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do from the last time. Uh, episode 23. We put the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang on trial uh, from the end of Series 5. Uh, now, Dave, you were defending it? He was. Yeah. Dave was defending it. Cam was prosecuting. So uh, let's get the results in for that. Uh, we asked you if the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang was guilty or not guilty of crime against Doctor Who. This is how you voted. Guilty, 25%. <sighs> not guilty, 75%. So Dave claims that one and it's in the unofficial official canon of Doctor Who. I don't claim that one. It's just the right decision, to be honest. It's nothing to do with me. I just make the case. It's up to the listeners, Lee. And in this case, the listeners were correct. Them people, they disgust me. I can't walk down a street now without looking at people who might have voted not guilty for that. You know, and also because walking... you're not allowed to walk down the street anymore. You know. No, not really. No, no, no. no. Well, I can. I can. You can go out as much as any time as you want now for exercise. And that's what I'm doing, honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice that I could actually remember recording that episode of this. Because normally we, we come to summing up the last episode, it was like a year ago. I can actually We have the usual conversation of who's defending that, who was it, and then now it's like, oh, it was only a fortnight ago, that's all right then. Yeah. At we, least that way, there's always, always a nice surprise. Yeah, yeah, we still ask who's doing what, but it was only two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, we're improving all the time. Yeah, knocking out these episodes out the park, it's amazing. Okay, shall we go on with tonight's then? Yeah, we probably should. Yep, the latest sorry example to be dragged before the courts. I I'm get talking about Mr. Spoon. Oh, you sound like my lawyer when you say that. <laughs> okay, this time round we're going back to 1984, Peter Davidson's last series as a doctor. We're going to be doing Resurrection of the Daleks. No! Sleep! Till bedtime! You ask it as though I have a choice. Everyone has a choice. It's in the Constitution. 25th Amendment, or is it... 26. Didn't you go to school? I must have played truant that day. Or maybe we didn't go to the same school. Which school did you go to? I, I c- can't remember. But you remember one of the amendments? What was the first? It's very important, I know. It's very important you remember, too. Think, man. Search the area of your mind that Daleks have shut off. Resist before it's too late. I must continue. Resist! I must continue.
So, Resurrection of the Rocks was written by Eric Sayward, directed by Matthew Robinson and produced by John Nathan Turner. It starred Peter Davison as television's Doctor Who, Janet Fielding as Tiffany Nuvanka, Mark Strickson as Turlow, Tillery Malloy as Davros, Rodney Buse as Stein and Rula Lenska as Harry Styles. Uh, it was broadcast on the 8th and 15th of February 1984 as a two-parter initially because of the Winter Olympics. Viewing figures were 7.3 million for part one, 8 million for part two. But we're going to be doing the four-part edition of this. Yes. Uh, yes. As has been in subsequent repeats and DVD releases and so on. Uh, right, so who's doing what for this one? Who is prosecuting? Who's defending? I am prosecuting, and I believe that would leave Dave defending unless we've all gone horribly wrong. (laughs) Although maybe we could do one where we both prosecute it, just for fun. (laughs) We'll only tell at the last moment. (laughs) We won't tell him, see if we can tell the difference. (laughs) So so that's fear her sorry then. Yep. (laughs) No, I want to defend that, I really do. I don't know how I'll manage it, but I want to defend it just a really wild cam up. I mean, I've not seen it since it was actually broadcast. It might be one of the greatest episodes of Doctor Who, and I was just in a really bad mood that evening. I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen it since. Oh, you should definitely watch it again and again on repeat. It'll, it'll change your mind. Okay. I'll um, play it in the no. background while you're sleeping. That'll help. Yeah, that'll be great. I'll just, I'll just like, don't open your David Tennant just running towards the Olympics. Yeah. Waking up going, why is you, Edward, so lonely? Anyway. <laughs> Social distancing, that's why. It was ahead of its time. Right, I need to stop defending fear her now. <laughs> yeah, because we're doing a completely different episode. Just keep that in the memory bank, Dave, for a bit. I know six years' time and we eventually pull it out from the envelopes of justice. Six and years come time, back so, to this. So three episodes then? Yeah, yeah, about that. <laughs> okay, let's begin with part one then. So we open with a long shot of rain-sodden derelict slums where despair and misery lurk in every dark recess. No, it's not Greenwich, it's a London dockside. A old boy with a flat cap enjoys a crafty fag when all of a sudden his piece is disturbed by an escapee team from the Crystal Maze, pursued by a group of policemen who gunned them down as they run away. Of course, we know at this point they're not real policemen as they didn't shot the unarmed black man first. Oh, that's political, isn't it? That's political. <laughs> the bodies are then beamed up and the plods return down to Dock Green Station for a cup of tea and some institutionalised racism. But there are two survivors who will refer to as Bob from the Likely Lads and not Terry. <laughs> we then cut to a space station. We actually we discover then that the cops are an intergalactic death squad and Lytton berates his execution squad for not setting their faces to stun. Uh, there are survivors and Bob and not Terry aren't killed. Uh, at this point, they then cut to a prison ship where Rula Lenska is undergoing her annual staff appraisal. We discover that morale on board the ship is very low and the crew can't wait to leave, so we can only assume that this prison ship doubles as a galactic branch of Sports Direct. You see, the thing that I really liked about the intro scenes is that they explain absolutely nothing about anything. You're just following along, then it cuts the next thing, you go, oh, okay, so they'll explain that in a minute. And it's great, because you're sucked in. You just go, what? What's, wait, what? You're like, sucked yeah. in by utter confusion. You find out that these cops are an interstellar death squad. You go like, yeah, right, I'll ride on this. This will be fun. It's I fun. Give it that, but there's, <clears throat> this opening, even sort of five or ten minutes, has to seemingly cover a hell of a lot of ground and maybe does it in sort of not the greatest of ways. It does it quickly, which is the best way to cover ground. Quickly and with erratic movements. That's the best thing to do when you're followed by a death squad. <laughs> so you're saying it's some kind of like an allergy going on here in the editing, is that one? 
Yep. There's deep and well thought right. storytelling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the interesting part is, you know, obviously the police not being actual police and not being the sort of symbols of trust that they usually would be in real life and being something quite more sinister is a good sort of part of introduction to go to. But uh, then we start getting a little bit sort of too much crammed in the first sort of opening section. We've got the, uh, you know, the Docklands, as we say, and then we've got the we seem to have like well one ship so far isn't it it's not like the 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 dalek ship hasn't quite been introduced yet um but yeah from my money this crams too much in to the first few minutes you're all over the place if it didn't cram it all in you'd get bored you wouldn't get sucked in because it's the first episode of the new story so they have to pile on the questions that they're going to answer in the next hour we're kind of going back to last month where it was good to have like one strong stand, you know, good idea or lots of little ones that you just have to kind of like balance all around all of them. Well, if you want, we can just judge Doctor Who in its entirety or we can discuss individual stories like we're meant to be doing. Well, yes, we yeah, might have yeah. said something different last month, but for this what? story... Why don't we just save some time and just do all 56 years in one go? Yeah. Well, just toss a coin. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why didn't we think of this before <laughs> yeah why not but there's a yeah. podcast idea all these really long things just a two minute spoiler of yes or no should you watch it Doctor Who yes Red Dwarf all at the start freaking bad maybe not Game of Thrones skip the ending so you could, you could do everything like that yeah just do that Death Note the first half yeah hello hello watch all of it it's awesome Okay, so we're back on Earth. Uh, we're back for if uh, Bob uh, from we're back in the room. Uh, we're back with Bob from the Likely Lads. Uh, he's looking around in the streets outside, trying to avoid being shot in the face. A uh, transit van full of sweaty, agitated squaddies turns up. So we can only assume that the van has Katie Manning in the back. That's our van. That's, yeah. a, that's our ride. Yeah. <laughs> We've pimped our ride long ago. We call her Katie. <laughs> yes. Um. Have we established it's London 1984 yet? It's like London 1984. Um, the doctor says it's the Docklands in London, and he says 100 years ago this would have been bustling. But he doesn't, I don't think they actually say what year it is at any point. Yeah, like how the doctor just suddenly turns into a property developer the minute it lands in the Thames and just starts sizing up the buildings for your future property opportunity. Capitalist pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Peter Davison. He's probably like, you know, up to his eyeballs and mortgage debt at this moment in time yes, to, you know <laughs> think of something that he might be able to do is he like that or he's looking for a safe house for mr spoon well yeah because mr spoon's done some terrible things the only people that run away to other planets have obviously done terrible terrible things there's button you know mr spoon of button moon who constantly hides on the moon and dr manhattan who buggers off to mars halfway through watchmen and Elon Musk, he wants to go to Mars. He's done yeah, stuff. Yeah, done terrible. He's done stuff. He's seen things. Aye. Carry yes, on, Lee. Sorry. It's <laughs> never yeah. proved this London 1984, <clears throat> but we know roughly when it is. And no, he says 1984 before they exit the TARDIS. Does it? He does. Yeah, he goes, he goes, it's London. He looks at Tegan and goes, 1984, because it's probably round about where Tegan wants to you know, bugger off to. But we'll get back to that later on. <laughs> Deliberately trying to get rid of her. It's like every yeah. opportunity. It's like, here's your stop, Tegan. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, we've stopped somewhere completely random. Oh look, it's your parents' house. That's weird, isn't it? It's just it's it's your bedroom window. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happened to be tied up, and all all your stuff fell into the suitcase. Ugh. By the by the way, your auntie still did. 
Bye. Yeah, I can oh, take okay. gravel and I won't ready, but I'm not doing that. So after some learning driving down a time corridor that sets, sets off the entire this collision detection warning, the Doctor, Tegan and Rick Butler from the jam arrive in 1984. Uh, they set off to find where the time corridor is. Uh, meanwhile, this is going on. The prison ship comes under attack, taking out power to the weapons, leaving as much use as a Matthew Waterhouse acting masterclass. Uh, plan is to actually destroy this ship should they be boarded uh, in order to stop the invaders just getting their hands on the prisoner. I wonder who that could be. I was think it's John out? Barman. <laughs> I think it'd be better if it was. Yeah. How long is it since the Daleks were last on TV when this came on then? I can't remember. Uh, it's five years at this point. Is it five? So they've been away five for five years. years. Yeah, since That's Destiny of the Daleks. So but it's been a big thing. Yeah, they, they wouldn't have had a Davidson story before now. Mm. No. No, this was like his one and only Dalek, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone okay. gets one. Well, at least one. Yeah, there's a lot of mentions of, uh, you know, if the, if the ship is um, boarded, they have to destroy the prisoner, which is fine and interesting. This time corridor, I feel we need to talk about the time corridor. No, we don't. Okay. It's fine. It's completely understandable and clear. We don't need to talk about it at all. No, we do. <laughs> a, it's the fact that it seems to be just this convenient way of linking these somewhat nondescript scenes together. So you mean it's the classic term for timey-wimey-wibbly-wobbly? Yeah, it's it's just a load of nonsense to, that's just conjured up to actually think, oh, how are we going to link all these together? Oh, yeah, there's part of time travel that you don't need any kind of like TARDIS or drive or anything to get through. You just kind of walk into it accidentally and you're like, oh, I'm on a Dalek ship now. Great. Yeah, So it's an exposition tunnel. <laughs> yeah it might as well be um you because can laugh never all you want i fought in the exposition wars i was there <laughs> what do you do yeah you've got scars to prove it the things yeah. he's seen the things if he's I explained there, then i wouldn't have been the man i am today that was the whole point of the exposition wars jesus <laughs> i bet them training days were really really long we would have to explain everything to you. <laughs> repeatedly Slower for the American audiences. <laughs> this is also the moment where um, they find um, Stein mm-hmm. in a doorway yep. somewhere, whose only concern seems to be that he wants something to eat. And obviously, uh, it being 1984, they're not just around the corner from a Mackey's driving. It would have um, been a wimpy. It would have yeah, been a wimpy because they were okay because you got plates. Yeah. Remember, your mum and dad were okay taking you at wimpy because you got plates. When I was it's a not... kid, I had a birthday party at a wimpy. Did you? Yeah. Oh, what what did they give? Did they give you like presents and stuff? Oh, there's like food and games and stuff, and then there was a food fight, and they stopped doing parties in that one. <laughs> was was this the one in the East End of Princess Street, by any it, chance? It was, yeah. <laughs> oh wow! I've so, heard yeah. the stories. Your twenty second birthday must have been a riot. It was, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, uh, Rodney wants something to eat, uh, but the doctor's wearing some celery, but offers him a fuck all. But surely so, answered to be waiting off 15 years for there'll be a pret a manger there. Exactly. That's yeah, a simple way isn't it? Then you can get an overpriced sandwich. And you can walk around with like a, a cup, which gives you some sort of automatic superiority complex or anyone that goes to Costa's. Mm. You know, one of those ones. Then we... Do we go to like the worst game of Laser Quest in the history of mankind after this? Oh, yeah, I love the sound effects. <laughs> this is all... <clears throat> yeah, these people are guarding this pr- prison ship, including Rulalenska, and then... The Daleks board the prison ship and they bust through a wall and there is like five minutes of the worst possible shootout 
in Doctor Who history. It is truly awful, even you, for the time. If you wrapped an epileptic in Bon Tempe organs and then threw them down the stairs with a strobe light, <laughs> that's what you'd get. And it's genius. It's not. It's really it's, not. They're just... <laughs> All right, I'm going to go for the big bullshit here. It's showing the confusion of war and combat because you've no idea what's going on. It's loud noises. It's stuff you don't understand. That's what they're trying to show. It was oh, well, not a great directorial decision. You can understand this bit because it's, you know, at least this bit is like, the, obviously, the Daleks evil. The people defending, the, you know, because you don't know who the prisoner is yet, um, technically speaking. The people who are, you know, guarding the ship, good. So, therefore, there's an like obvious one-on-one battle here, you know, one side versus another side. Great. That's fine. But my problem is this. This is, as we've already said, five years of Dalek absence now broken because they've returned. What's the first thing the Daleks do? Get shot and retreat. That's the number one Doctor Who bad guy. It's come back after five years and the first thing they do is, oh, this is a bit tough. We'll just piss off. Yeah, it doesn't really underline the might of the Daleks that they can't be a match for a bunch of medics with milk crate barricades. Yeah, exactly. I think it also shows how much they need their leader back. They need that force to drive them on. They've already if, got a leader. They've got but, the Supreme Dalek. But if they didn't have the prisoner, we still don't know who it is, right. they, they need the prisoner to be fully the Daleks. That's the whole dichotomy of the situation. They've got the Supreme Dalek, but it's still not enough because they're missing that extra component. So without the component of the little bit of emotion, they're just going to walk in our minefield. And then they're going to go back and go, this doesn't work, we'll try something else. Whereas with this hatred feeling, they would have just been charged. You're desperately trying to scramble for reasons for this, aren't you? For the worst game of laser quest. You say that the kind of thing every time we record, Cameron. I do. I'm not, I'm not desperately scrambling. I'm showing my ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my thoughts with you. Yeah, he's done the homework. I, I think that, yeah, the Daleks needs the thing that's missing. That's the prisoner. And that's why they're not as effective as they usually are. Because so if you're, they were the usual fully effective Daleks, they wouldn't need him. So you're saying that you're kind of undermining the sort of supreme Dalek in doing that. Because obviously, Davros, as we've established, has been away for 90 years at this point. Yep. You're telling me in that time they haven't bothered their arse actually going and getting their heads around the fact that he's not there. They couldn't find him. And anyway, Davros is just their creator. He's not really the ruler anymore at this point. He's not giving out the orders. But he is their god. For one of a better phrase, he is the creator. He's not their ruler, but he's ah, their so, god. So some of these Daleks have obviously then defied God. No. How have they, they defied God? Because they've started following a supreme Dalek. And they're trying to undermine Davros all the way. <clears throat> but you can believe in God and serve your king. And if your it's king goes against God, then it's still serving your king. Because your king is here. You'll make amends with God when you die. So the you're saying you would, choose, you, would, you would choose your king over your god? Depending on the situation. So you have got a ruler then? Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> we follow how Nicola. Have, how have we gone from Davros to Nicola Sturgeon? Oh my god, there'll be some listeners kind of going, oh, I don't <laughs> like the SNP. <laughs> you're listening to Religion and Politics Today. This is BBC Radio 4. <laughs> there'll be so many people have written theses on... The Daleks of religion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're going to say people have written feces of Nicholas Sturgeon being like the Daleks. <laughs> Shh. That's my uh, idea. That's, that's <laughs> Dave's. Um, 
then is this the bit that Lytton starts going on about how he they want to like use his battle tactics and mm-hmm. the Daleks give in? This is where we hum- find out. Sorry, sorry, Cameron, you go. I'm just saying that the Daleks give in to a human regarding the tactics for battle. Well, it's at this point we find out he's in league with the Daleks. He is in league, but he's kind of like their hired kind of goon, really, isn't he? He's the hired hitman. And we'll see, we'll see, yeah, he, obviously when he next crops up, he's doing a very similar idea. And he's, it, what a part of Dalek psychology would mean they would go, aye, all right, aye, this human can tell us what to do. They'd just shoot him on the spot. Under normal, everyday circumstances, every Dalek before this would have just shot Lytton there and then. Same as the Daleks would have gone straight through that charge without stopping because they'd been ambushed. Daleks are different because they've been missing the prisoner for 90 years. So they will not do anything that it takes to get him back, including listen to a human. I think they've adapted, though. They've got a supreme Dalek. He's gone. Davros to them is like mostly like deed. He's always been mostly deed. He looks a bit decomposed, certainly. Yeah. Okay, so that's... Sorry, That's okay. We're just waiting for the gap to come in there. Okay, so at this point, the Doctor, Tegan, Turlow and Bob from the Likely Ads are searching the warehouse and they find it's been the scene of a recent bust-up, probably because the Sweeney found there the week before then. Uh, Turlow suddenly disappears and then we discover that Aldi Unit are also in the warehouse. Uh, back in the prison ship, the Daleks deploy a massive can of Lynx Africa and overwhelm half the crew with the smell of a 14-year-old boy. Uh, Daleks secure the bridge and send one of their minimum wage Daleks down to the warehouse to take care of the Doctor and company. Meanwhile, two of the crew break into the prisoner's cell and we discover, surprise, it's Davros, who's been imprisoned on the set of an Ultravox video, but it looks like with all that dry ice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he, does, he does describe tedium and boredom later on, to be fair to him, yeah, so it's impossible. <laughs> yes. He's clearly listened to the back catalogue. Yeah. <laughs> so, After Vienna, right, it just well, goes downhill. It just goes downhill. There's then the, the two of them go, what is that smell? And one of them turns into a bowl of sugar puffs. And then they are assaulted by Dalek troopers. Can we please discuss the Dalek troopers' mode of dress? What's to discuss? It's functional, it's uniform, it works. Why have they been given a mode of dress, which means I will now have to refer to them from now on during this case as dickhead troopers? Because that is effectively what they are. I can understand the fact that... I can understand that... um, you know, Paul Verhoeven would have had a field day at Dickhead Troopers making a movie, wouldn't he? <laughs> and Starship Troopers. I can understand, they can, I cannot take any of these guys seriously when they have a Dalek stock sticking at their forehead. Sorry, I just can't. I just can't. Who's, what possible need was that to decide on that as a wardrobe? Yeah, there's definitely something that slipped through the net in production because apparently John Nathan Turner, who is a man of sartorial taste, absolutely hated those helmets which is a sentence i never thought i'd hear myself say yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god um yeah i can under- i can understand them having like the dark the wee sort of bumps and things like that that's fine can you know have them like don't have the stock have them as like you know some kind of like samurai effort going on with the, with the helmets great don't have the feckin stocks man not the eye stock why do they need them they don't need when- them it's an affectation they have to look like the Daleks. Functioning eyes in their own heads. Terrible. Crap wardrobe choice. There's your next point against. Really? That's it. One of your points against is that people dressed funny in the 80s. 
No, I'm just saying Dalek troopers seem to look like absolute dickheads in a literal fashion. It's not the the worst sort of phallic analogy that we're about to meet tonight, but <laughs> <laughs> then the uh, we're near the end of the first episode here, aren't we? A Dalek turns up in the warehouse, yeah, and then tries to shoot everyone in, like, including the doctor in the warehouse. Yeah, that's the cliffhanger that, to the end of this episode. The minimum wage Dalek materialises in the warehouse, and the doctor and company run about twenty yards before stopping for a rest. Yeah. Yep. And it is going out there, so they send one old Dalek doing, and that's your, well, it's your cut-off point for the four-parter. Obviously, this wouldn't have been a cut-off point for the uh, the, the original yeah. two-part broadcast. So, yeah, episode so, one on a yeah. crap Dalek, one of them. Davros listening to Ultravox's back catalogue, and obviously being in a lot of dry ice. Um, dickhead troopers. And this episode overall sets a tone for this entire story which is utterly bleak yes it was london in the 80s well i wasn't around in london in the 80s but it is relentless even when you have to go up to like spaceships when you're not even in london it's still oppressively bleak this story i'm not saying it should all be sunshine lollipops and happy clapping but a little bit of relief somewhere online would have been nice yeah, it would have been nice, but you don't get any. You don't need any. But you do. I think you uh, would do. Even just a small, tiny chink of light somewhere. Given that the story is unrelentingly grim, because it's written by Eric Sayward, so, you know, go figure. That's just what I was about to say, yes. What, what, <laughs> would, what would you throw in there to lighten the mood? Just... Give me what we know about the story. Anything, like, any kind of, like... Maybe a song and dance just, number, something like that? Yeah, well... A com- comedic exchange between maybe Tegan and Turlo or the Doctor and Tegan and Turlo, something like that, just from light relief rather than just your, what your three settings are: a warehouse, a dingy prison ship, and then a Dalek ship, which is probably the best lit set in this of the three, but is still just this kind of sterile, sort of featureless atmosphere. For set dressing, this story is this this sort of broadcast is not the best i don't know i I think they were aiming for grim and i'd say they got it fairly well i say yeah if they were aiming for grim then they've banged it nail on yeah so to speak but it's just overwhelmingly oppressive this entire story is overwhelmingly oppressive i only mention this point because it's just suddenly hit me at the end of this first episode like they're going jesus apart from the fact that pretty much if you you're introduced to someone the inevitability in this story is that they're going to die Yes. Die or get copied or get copied then die. Well, that's largely how it opens. It opens with people running away from the police and get executed. Yeah. It starts on a grim note. And, it kind of Relent- stays there. and then stays there. Yeah. Forever. Even just a small bit of light relief. There's nothing to smirk at or kind of have a giggle at in this entire story to at least alleviate the mood for a few seconds to give you right. a little bit of tone and contrast in there. Not, not even the Dalek Reapers with their penis head helmets you didn't get a laugh no, out of that. that no because that's just kind of unintentional. That, that wasn't funny for you but you, all right that's that was light relief maybe thought this is a bit dark but we've started shooting now we've got the script how will we get some laughs in there cock hats <laughs> i think how many things in life could be uh, lightened by cock hats dave yeah probably not funerals no probably not actually uh, no no, I think what about football? The Premiership comes back. 
<laughs> so that that's the answer to the empty stadiums, which is that we have mannequins. Well, that's what they because that's what they no, call I'm, them in South Korea, no, mannequins. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm They're thinking players. Just, I'm just thinking <laughs> players good at headers. <laughs> Imagine the skill and the ability of like kind of going guiding the hit, you know, ball into a net when you've got a cock hat on. Imagine that. Nicey. What you want is the goalkeepers with dildo gloves, where every finger is a dildo. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine that? In fact, I think Alan McGregor already did that actually, but yeah. I don't think it was playing for Rangers. Uh, <laughs> Can I just point out to anybody who's just joined the podcast at this point, this is a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> just in case there's yeah, any doubt. That's all, I just wanted to clear that up for any new listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's Doctor Who, sport and sex toys. That's what we <laughs> That's what we built our empire upon. So, uh, yep. the hurdles with strap-ons. <laughs> Are we done with episode one? Yes. Hmm. We finished okay. episode one. Shall, shall we it's, move on to episode two? Then? It's we'll the Daleks and up here and against the Doctor, and that's when it ends. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so let's move on to episode two then. We've got the cliffhanger resolution. So uh, the Dalek shoots one of the Aldi unit guards who dies from a fatal dose of jive and jazz hands. Uh, the Doctor instructs soldiers to shoot the Dalek in the eye at the end of its stock, which sounds a bit sore. Uh, Tegan fulfills her companion contract by falling over and the Dalek is shoved out of the warehouse into the street below in one of my first Doctor Who memories. Nice. Is it? Yeah. One of the very, very first things I can remember is that scene. And the first thing I can remember is the bit in the Five Doctors where the triangles come down and scoot them out of the sky. All right, hi. It wasn't until 20 years later when I got the DVD that I finally realised that that's what I remember. I just convinced myself it was something else. I'd like to think you mean your first memories of Doctor Who, but I think you might just mean your first memories <laughs> full stop. <laughs> Do you know what? It's not that far removed from the truth. <laughs> no, well, there you go. Oh, yeah, there, there was no hope for me, really, was there? Probably not, no. Um, I, I remember this was probably the first Doctor Who story I watched that was an older one that wasn't McCoy as well. Because I say I watched a lot, a lot of the McCoy ones and got into it in like the late 80s. Yeah. And then... As time went on, obviously, I was like, this was, the, I think, the first Doctor Who DVD I bought. Nice. This is like the first story I randomly picked to watch. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I should probably watch some of the back catalogue. And I was going to, so when the DVD started to come out, this was the first one I bought. Yeah, I think it's one of these ones that gets repeated and repeat seasons quite a lot as well. Ah. Uh, just simply because Daleks. So, yeah, yeah, Daleks and Peter Davison. And whether it's the best Peter Davison story or not, we'll, uh, we'll have to see. But, um, aye, it's not. Uh, <laughs> at all but so, yeah it opens with them lobbing a Dalek out the window which is enough to make it explode apparently yeah it, it does have, have a whole detonation thing going on or an impact well, I suppose they kind of had to do something because they couldn't just show the plastic crumpling as it hits the ground yeah they couldn't just kind of like, you know, have it just crumple into a million bits and just kind of go oh well that's it has to kind of have a bit of panache to it I'll give them that we need to ask another question for the next mm. scene and that is, how many spaceships do you think would have a dedicated self-destruct sequence in one room on board? Yeah, at this point we've discovered that the uh, Sports Direct employees upon that ship are uh, planning to get out of the Zero Hours contract by blowing it up. Uh, yeah. While this is going on, Tubble finds the, ship, finds the ship's skin clinic and instantly gets the bulk. Yeah, he just wandered off. He just decided to go for a walk onto the yeah, spaceship through the time corridor. There's no rhyme or reason for Turla to actually, like, 
leave the group when they got out of the TARDIS. He just seems to just take a wrong turn around a pillar somewhere on a floor of the warehouse and end up just on the Dalek ship. There's no thought or rhyme or reason for him actually being there. And that yeah. bit is just left completely like vacuous. He finds it's entirely the same corridor, goes through it, realizes he's on the wrong ship, and then just keeps going forward. Doesn't turn around or walk backwards, just keeps going. Fuck it. No, it just keeps going, and he ends up on a Dalek ship. And also, I like to point out, he's dressed mostly in black and a completely brightly lit white spaceship, but seems to blend in just quite nicely because no Dalek finds him. <laughs> you know. Maybe he looks a bit Dalek y if you've got like blurred vision. Because he's just Maybe, a black shape. I suppose when your Daleks have only got one eye, their sort of distance perception is not hot. Yeah, they happen to those cock cats on, and that's how it just blended into the exactly. Daleks. Like, so they they, they yeah, stick them from another reason. Yes, totally. I interrupted your point about the self-destruct system on you go. Uh, I just think it's somewhat ludicrous that a ship would have that. What, a self-destruct thing? Yeah, just like Why? one dedicated room with effectively a massive bomb on it that was just like, oh yeah, we just blow the whole ship. It seems to be really easy to get into the room. Yeah, but it's the only thing in the room. You just it's have like to be rule the lens the cafeteria, right next to the bin where you throw stuff. Yeah, but they all seem to know where it is. <laughs> like, oh, we need to go to the self-destruct room. Okay, let's go. <laughs> but maybe that's, you know, it's a prison ship with a highly dangerous prisoner on board. You want the ability to blow it up. And you want to tell the staff on their induction, by the way, don't go in that room and press random buttons. It's the self-destruct room. We'll all fucking die. But if somebody says we need to blow up the ship, that's where it is. Like it I, just, I, I say it's probably start the staff induction <laughs> or working on the prison ship. It seems a really drastic thing to have to go to as your next step. Oh, the Daleks invaded, blow it up. They, they don't actually seem that well trained. No, not really. It seems a bit haphazard. Yeah. Well, that's the Daleks here, right? Every man for himself. Fuck it, we're all gone. <laughs> so talking of the prisoner, uh, this is where we find that Davros wakes up just in time for a bowl of unlimited rice pudding. So Davros is now in the game. Oh yes, he's on the he's what? Appeared. <laughs> hey man, it's been ninety years for him. That's a long time. That's not rice pudding in that bowl. <laughs> <laughs> More of which later. Yes. Uh huh. Um, right, yes, so is revealed. back at the warehouse, they have to kill the little animal inside, the, the little squidgy thing inside the Dalek, because it's on the loose. Dalek rat thing I've got down here. Um, and the Doctor's handed a gun. Now, bear in mind, the Doctor very, very, very rarely uses any kind of weaponry. Yet it seems there's like, officially, yeah, but there's like two or three occasions in this one story he's handed some kind of like gun device and this is one of them one of the army guys hands him effectively a handgun and they have to shoot this little dalek that's got out of its casing and ends up running around over the place are we not sort of breaking a long-held doctor who tradition of the doctor refusing to have any lethal weaponry in his possession um apart from you know the many many times he uses a weapon the many times he uses people as a weapon, and not forgetting the War Doctor. I'm talking specifically guns, though. All right, yes, yeah, specifically guns handed to him by a man between five foot ten and six foot tall on a Tuesday <laughs> with his right hand <laughs> in central London, 1984. Yes, that makes it quite unusual. The, the Doctor, doctor does have weapons. previous 
Yeah. The Doctor does have previous for using guns. I mean, he did shoot an ogre on down and uh, Dave did Alex. Yep. Just takes him out in cold blood. No reason whatsoever. Not even trying to defend himself. Just decides to pick one off for fun. It's a Dalek story and the Doctor likes to fucking shoot things. Just when the Daleks are around. Keep them in line. It's a complete contrast to Peter Davison's Doctor. Shows how much the Doctor hates the Daleks. That's all it is. He wouldn't shoot a Cyberman but he'll fuck up a Dalek with a crowbar if you ask him. <laughs> Cybermen could just get away with it. Yeah. Just throw some grit on them and they stop. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> then we get the Daleks back on board the Dalek ship because they found Turlo uh, on a little security camera and they decide that maybe keeping him on board is going to be okay because that means the Doctor's going to come and get him and they can get the Doctor when he arrives. Do we then end up with another game of Laser Quest? Pew, uh, pew, pew, pew. Yeah. The best bit yeah. is, I don't know, is it like, I don't know what the broadcast version was like, but there's absolutely no, like, post effects put on this bit. No. Yeah. There's, like, no lasers. kind there's of. Noise, it was no before, light. but yeah. just, they're just all kind of going literally pew, pew, pew. And I didn't know if that was just, like, the original broadcast version, or if it was just this DVD, or what's going on, or has been applied since and repeats. It was the same on my version that I watched. Yeah. 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 So I'd like to say shoddy effects, but I'll say no effects on this one. <laughs> yeah, so that's been obviously missed completely. The medical crew then change into Dalek trooper uniforms, so they become dickheads. Yep. It's quite remarkable that all these uniforms managed to fit them perfectly, despite the difference in size and height exactly. of the two factions. It's a bit like when you're playing Hitman. <laughs> yeah. And you can change into any clothes, anywhere. All of a sudden, that French maid's uniform fits this six-foot-tall bald man. Yeah, I'll believe yeah. that. <laughs> All of a sudden, 47 just, just chafes a lot. It's fine. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll let the uh, I'll, I'll let the court uh, sum up from here. Sorry, but, but, but which point have we got to? Because I've lost my place. <laughs> We've got to, well, I've got, I've got a note here saying, fella being attacked by Dalek snot. So that'll be the unit soldier reenacting Emu's attack on Michael Parkinson with some offcuts from the local butcher then, yeah? Yeah. Without that bit. Yeah, without that bit. And can I just point out, we've done really well so far to not make any jokes about all the black people on the prison ship. Weirdly enough, they're not prisoners. That kind of thing. It never occurred to me, David. (laughs) Really? I think it's just you there, Dave. Fair enough. I'll take that one. Is there something you're there? Would you like to expand on this, Dave? Shall no, we, not at all. Shall we psychoanalyze and get to the root of why you think black people should be imprisoned? Uh, mainstream media, there we go. And I don't think they should be. I think they disproportionately are. I don't think it's right, if that's what you're insinuating. I think they're badly treated by the state. But I just thought it was quite interesting that you don't often see in Doctor Who entire racial crews of one type. Like, you see an all-black crew. Or an all Chinese crew won't will not go into that, and you don't. Especially in the modern who, they're really quite trying hard to vary the races and scenes to tick all the boxes. If you ask the wrong fans, yeah, it's quite a diverse cast they've got here because you've got an Indian, uh, you've got a couple of black men, you've got a ginger. Yeah. So they're, they're spreading the net far and wide there. Yeah, but the ginger's the one in command and control. She's like the boss. The actual crew are all ethnic. Which is quite unusual. It is. It is. I don't think uh, talking about gingers though. That, uh, this story features Doctor Who's greatest ginger, but we'll leave that for another time. Yeah, you're right, Stoner. Yeah. Nah, it's still nice. <laughs> anyway, why shock all this eye. is good? That'll be shock eye. It's always going to be shock eye. 
he's Scottish and he's ginger. Yeah, exactly. One of us. <laughs> One of us. Totally. This is when uh, Colonel Archer back at the docks, who's the lead guy of the uh, army unit or the Aldi unit, um, then uh, tries to find a telephone and ends up going outside and talking to some police officers, realises that the radio they give him is completely dead, and they're not really police officers, because they shoot him dead. Yeah. Uh, and then we get probably our final uh, guest appearance in this. There's a lot of star power in this story, but yes. it's kind of wasted. Because um, we get Leslie Grantham, Dirty Den himself. And, and he, he basically is Dirty Den in this. Yeah, but he does pretty much... He doesn't get a chance to do a lot of like anything really he no. just has to walk around and occasionally handle Davros's tiny prick every once in a while yeah um so yeah this is the bit we also discovered that there's a virus that kills the Daleks only yeah yeah that's right the Mivellan virus yes which we've kind of touched on in Destiny of the Daleks before haven't we ah it's called back yeah. ah it's yeah. called back to that I've got notes on here that say that Davros is just a shouty pain in the arse I believe that was the original character definition as well. Is this the best portrayal of Davros? Is anyone near a decent portrayal of Davros in this story? Well, this is the second one, isn't it? Because we've had Michael Wisher up until this point. This is Terry Malloy's first stint as Davros. So you're getting a different take on the character. You're getting a different approach to playing him. All it boils down to is he's a shouty pain in the arse. He's a bit angry old da. I'll give you that. He's He's angry old da. Not for 90 years. And he cannot make any point without shouting. That might have been an acting thing because as an actor he's probably finding it difficult to get any emotion across while he was sitting in the chair covered with a rubber mask. With his so, eyes looking like wee tiny arseholes. Yeah, so he was probably trying to act as best he could and it just came out as being loud and angry. It does seem a bit strange for Terry Malloy because he's the villain that came out with the quote about evil doesn't shout at whispers. Yeah. So there's not, not much whispering going on here. Yeah, no, exactly. there's not much whispering going on here at all. Yeah, yeah sorry, I'm interrupting the uh, uh, the judge. Do you know what? Carry on, because I've completely lost the place here. So you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, fair enough. Let's just um, all pile in. Let's just all pile in. Um, so yeah, Davros. Uh, yeah, Davros is just shouting all the time, and as far as there's no sort of subtlety to him at all. It's just like sledgehammer acting completely here. We're back to the warehouse. Uh, Rodney Buse, Stein, sorry, is still banging on about time corridors. And we need to kind of talk about... No, we don't. We do. <laughs> no, no, come on, David. What do we need to talk about, Cameron? We need to talk about Stein's speech impediment. Mm-hmm. And why such a thing is necessary. And I, uh, I really feel that, and it'll connect to one of my main points in the fact that this has a lot of star power as far as guests go this story, but they're not really used to anywhere near any full potential. Whose idea was it to have Rodney Buse stammering all over the place during this? And what does it possibly link to? Why? Does he well, have this? I think it shows the conflict within against the, from the dialect's conditioning. Mm-hmm. So it's the truth of him trying to fight against the conditioning. The stammer only does come into the last two episodes once his programming's beginning to break down. It's still in this. It at, you don't no, hear it at all in the first two episodes, no, do you? you? In the first two. Yeah, no, you definitely in the first two. Yeah. Ah, okay. yeah, you do. Got it down here. When he's talking about, you know, do you have something to eat? It's still yeah. there. Right. And it's just like, okay. 
it, Rodney Bue seems to just not really be carrying this off brilliantly well. It seems to be like a kind of one of those things that's not aged very well because it seems to be the try to say that his stammer is a result of him not entirely being all there upstairs. And that might have been acceptable in 1984 or whatever, 1983, whenever this was broadcast, but it's really bloody not now. Alongside like Yellowface in Talons of Wing Cheyenne, this is part of Doctor Who classic that has not aged well. Uh, okay, time team, come on. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago in a country far, far. No. Watching this, I had no idea why the hell they decided to make Rodney Buse's character stammer when it's obvious that he hasn't really got. He has obviously not either not got his heart fully set into making that a part of his character and seems to have just been told to include it like 10 minutes before the cameras rolled. Or it's just something they've just kicked in as an afterthought and they're yeah. just not carrying it off too well. I think it was maybe meant to be shown as a way of him fighting the conditioning. But it is not necessarily the best, the best done. Yeah. If you're going with that, it, you're basically saying that, oh, people with stammer, they're a wee bit kind of um, gone in the head, aren't they? And it's like real ugly. Yeah. It could have been sold better or cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. They try and shoot the Dalek snot bubble, but it's a cat. So yeah. it gets, it gets a little bit of light relief. It gets it's a little tick from me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a tick from me. For a, it's a, a, a little cat, you know. I like a cat. Yeah, there's one for the kids. The doctor nearly yeah. brains a cat with metal rod. Uh, yep, there we go. There's a hero. And he used to be a vet too. There's also then the moment that one of these, the, the troopers has been infected and bitten by this Dalek. And they admit that, oh, he might, you know, we don't, he's been bitten by an alien. We don't know what he could be infected by. And then one of them goes, well, I'll have to wait for the ambulance to come and take him to hospital. Because obviously, if you've been bitten by an alien infection and you've no idea what's going to go wrong, you just send him off to the local a- A&E. Why not? Because you know, he'll, he'll know what to do. The NHS will pick it up. Thing. Yeah, he'll just drive him away to Cardiff. Yeah. John Barham will look after him. Yep. Look, these NHS workers just can deal with anything. That's why we applaud them every single Thursday night, because they're dealing with alien infectious wounds on a regular yeah. basis. Nothing else. Exactly. exactly. Was, was anyone around at you applauding the NHS this evening? Because it was eerily quiet around here. We had a, a couple of, a smattering of applause and saucepans. The real noise was in Curtle Bridge. Oh, yes. With yes. a song that I've no idea what it was, because the house across the way play a different song each week on their loudspeaker system, their PA system they've got in their garage or something. And uh, you've got to identify the song, it would seem. And I had no idea what tonight's was. Last week, yeah. as I was telling you, it was SOS by ABBA. Yeah. Yeah, kind of sitting in the video to me uh, of what was being played. I didn't recognise it either. So maybe we should put that as a wee competition for the listeners. The first person to correctly identify it will win our very best wishes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very good. Yeah. Hopes and prayers. That's what they'll win. We'll add them into our next applause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're clapping for carers? Nope. I'm glad for Tammy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Where are we now? Uh, Davros says the doctor will die slowly and painfully. Infected fella just kind of wanders off out of shot, and that's him done. Yeah, this is a bit where at the end of this episode, Stein and the doctor end up taking the TARDIS to the um, Dalek ship and landing right. on the Dalek ship. Mm-hmm. And then they both get out the TARDIS, dickhead troopers come around the corner, 
And I think Rodney Bewes delivers what I'm now going to say is the clunkiest delivery of a line for a cliffhanger in Doctor Who past and present. <laughs> that is a bo- that is a boost. That's quite a boost. Quite a boost. Obviously, if you were watching the original two-part broadcast, this was your one and only cliffhanger. Yep. It was your sure, yeah, true, actually, And yeah. this is terrible delivery of, I haven't been quite honest with you. I serve the Daleks. I'm a Dalek agent. It's, oh, I cringed in my shoes when that came on. Yeah, a little known right? fact that Rodney Buse was voice coached by Speak and Spell. Yeah, that stammered too, probably. It was running out of batteries. <laughs> Sorry, Dave, yeah. on you go. The cow says, Dalek agent. <laughs> it, it may well be that he wasn't that into the role. Because he had been a big star in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, and exactly. He was on the wane. But so it's they, like. He got him for cheap and he didn't really want to do it, but he felt like he had to to keep his public image up. Yeah. This is a man that's been in Unlikely Lads and Billy Liar. Yeah, so he's at the end of his career having to do things to keep himself in work. Maybe he doesn't feel like doing it that much, but he knows it's good exposure. It's just, he obviously isn't there at all in this. Really? It's just that he's got a stutter, now you're saying he's not all there? I'm sure. He's he's just phoning this in, this whole performance. Was Leslie Grantham a kind of star in these days, or is this just kind of like a role he would take before EastEnders? This is his second television acting job. Yeah. So it's not like... Right, yeah. So it's not like Leslie Grantham's like the number one kind of all star kind of thing going on with this. He's by no means the main draw in this one. No. All right, okay, that's fine. That's okay. Because I was going to say, because he, for being a, a name, isn't used at all. And um, Rulenska kind of just does a few things and dies. Yeah. So that would be my point. The star power in this is sadly defunct. And Rodney <laughs> Buse is, is the main problem i've got here with all this you see my problem is that i'm laughing at lee because lee's been distracted by your cat is he was the... oh no i was behind you is he the fourth, the fourth member of the police box there we go look it off then come on come on but we go. did also miss a few jokes earlier in this because rodney Busey's mate at the start was called galloway and there's got to be a joke about Hart and Galloway in there somewhere. I just couldn't think of how it worked. <laughs> now, would you like me to be the cat? Good girl. Good girl. Now, look at this little cream all over your whiskers. Because <laughs> it literally goes from Rodney Bush down, Galloway, Galloway! How, how did I miss hard. this? <laughs> Would you like me to be the Dalek? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I was just suddenly, I was there kind of yeah. going, what do you mean, Galloway? Yeah. And I was just like, Gorgeous I'm just, George. I'm, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, Dumfries and... <laughs> and then it's just like, you know, because that's, hey, that's home. I'm just like, all oh, right, I, I remember now. Yeah. Okay, okay. Some yes, gorgeous George. Would you like to be the cat? Um, that should have been the episode cliffhanger there. That should have been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just George Galloway just coming in the shot and just like kind of going, hello, meow. <laughs> going up to Davra, sir, I salute your affidability, your bravery. <laughs> <laughs> so, give yeah. me some oil money, please. Whilst not being the worst 
like cliffhanger in Doctor Who history, I'm giving it the award as for the the clunkiest delivered line in Doctor Who cliffhangers history. Yeah, there's not I a lot of energy behind it. No, there's not a lot of energy behind Rodney B's entire performance in this. It's awful. Yeah, the the big reveal is not. I mean, it is still a big reveal, but yes. it's not done in a big reveal kind of way. Yeah. By the way, look, uh, just so you know, I'm your dad. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's just not got the. No, but if it was Rodney Buse, if Rodney Buse was Darth Vader, he'd be going, "I am your father," in the same way, and it just yeah. wouldn't have the same. Yeah. And Luke would be going, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Rather, no. Look into your heart. You know it to be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. So yeah, that's the end of episode two or the end of episode one, depending on which version of this you're yeah. watching. A, a damp script to end on. Definitely. For next week. Yes, get everyone back for next week. So what are the viewing figures for part three? Did you say? Uh, no, um, let me just go back and the, check. The original well, viewings see. were for part one and part two because it was the two yeah. part. But it was, what, 7.8 for the first one and 8 so, million for the second? As broadcast, part one got 7.3 million and it went up to 8 million for part two. Up. Maybe everyone's up. looking at it going, Rodney can't get any worse, surely. <laughs> low, ladies and gentlemen, it can. Did you watch oh. Doctor Who last week? Rodney Buse died on it. Really? What killed him? No, just like as an actor, he fucking died. He <laughs> <laughs> was fucking terrible, man. Uh, listen, that man's a national treasure in Uzbekistan. Well, yeah. They do not like Norman Wisdom as well. Hey, uh, there's nothing wrong with Norman Wisdom. Well, okay. he's dead. But apart from well, that. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before we go to yeah. episode 3, shall we? But the, only reason he's, the only reason he's famous in Kazakhstan is because they still haven't seen the result of the cup final yet either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> you're all weak, folks. Tip your waitresses. Tip your waitresses. Because they're all cows. <laughs> Oof. I think that's a good place to stop for a wee break before we go on. I'm gonna need uh, need some more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's charge our glasses and we'll come back for. All right, uh, okay. Three yep. more. All right. All right. As is usual, I'm back first. So this is usually the bit I have a wee monologue. I say usually, I've only been doing it this second time. I'll eat my neuter again and have a wee monologue so that when Lee's doing the edit, he can go, there's someone talking when everyone else was away. I'm hoping that the other two guys have got their headphones still plugged in, so I'm not broadcasting my voice to the entirety of Edinburgh. (coughs) So... Went back with this lovely neuter again bar. I've had a glass of wine so far this evening. That's good, we're on glass number two now. No one's back at the minute. There we go. I like to say that um, this is a bit of uh, a completely rubbish Doctor Who story. Dave's wrong. Again. And uh, I still think that the Pandorica was terrible. Well, no, really, actually. The Pandorica was alright. Sometimes, though, doing this podcast, you have to adopt the persona of... Uh, crap fanboy and just say it's all rubbish 
Mem. Don't look always back. As you know. He's opening the window though. It'll be a daddy long as we'll get in. Then he'll regret it. Oh, that's me. So anyway. Um you have to kind of like sit there and try and work out. I mean I enjoy Doctor Who. Doctor Who's an amazing show. And I'm normally very forgiving of any kind of Doctor Who slip-ups and like that, because it's Doctor Who at the end of the day, you know. It's a good show. It's been going on for this long for a reason. But, oh, he's back. Right, I've been ready to. Yeah, sure. Oh, well, got a drink, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, 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 uh, I've refilled. I've had Good my stuff. Nutrigain. You're back in the red wine, or no? Yep. I'm drinking water. Okay. Because I'm a good boy. Oh, has he got another kind of beer? That's disco forklift truck. truck. Yeah. Wow, mango pale ale. Drygate this thing. Not yours. Oh, I've heard of the Drygate Brewery. There's uh, a video game tournament at the Drygate Brewery. Yeah. Disco truck. Yeah. Awesome. This is what the world needs, a Scottish Doctor Who podcast where they talk about drink before they talk about the episodes. That's a good idea, that. Somebody should pay it, isn't it? Someone should do that. Someone yeah. should really do that. Yeah. I'm amazed like... nobody's thought of it already. No. I mean, that's what the, that's what the internet's missing, I think. And one of us could do really well at because we're all good at comedy. <laughs> yeah. We could do that. <laughs> episode three. Here we go. Episode three yeah. or episode two, depending on where you're coming from. It's so, all timey wimey. So the cliffhanger resolution to this one: uh, the doc- Daleks get the Doctor up against the wall and threaten to thrust a plunger up him uh, before Liston intervenes, uh, stating that the Doctor is to be cloned. Which, judging by the noise coming from the Daleks, seems to be confirmed by facts by the Supreme Dalek. There's definite, definite a modem being used at some point along the line here. Would it be 28k or 56k? <laughs> Gotta be 56. 48, 48, split the difference. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, you know, we just be, you know, the Supreme Dalek knows what he's, but he's got the uh, AOL.com trial CD and uh, that's what he's done. He's got his 330 days, but then it's like 10p a minute from then on. And the Supreme Dalek has to make sure his mom's not making a phone call before he gets on. <laughs> I mean, and there'll be there'll be no plain quake for hours on end. No, no. No looking at low-resolution pictures of boobs either, because they take 20 minutes to appear on the screen. Aye, or you should, like, you know, have a, like, a little postage heard. stamp size and, you know, a little postage stamp video on the side of the screen, didn't you? And it was all just... Yeah. Like... So you literally yeah. would go blind. Yeah. You would, say, you would literally go blind. It wasn't good for your eyesight. And that's why Channel 5 got the viewing figures, I think. <laughs> it's the first time people could actually see this stuff. Yep, pretty much. But there you go. Um, anyway, we're leading up to one of the main problems I've got with this entire story. Oh, it's all just problems with you, Cameron. Please, Dave, isn't it? It's all problems. You're just never happy. You're just a nitpicking it's a bastard. There's nothing, there's nothing nice and happy and funny in this. Oh, look Secretly, at that. Secretly, I hate Doctor Who. 
<laughs> Richie, if you're listening, we've got a guest. I wouldn't mind if it disappeared for good. Star Trek's better anyway. This is no the Bubbles Box five, with me, no, Lee, him, Dave, and Michael Grade. <laughs> yeah. Kill, kill it dead. Kill it dead. I'm actually thinking on, was it not... No, it was Greg Dyke that killed wrestling. I was going to say, was it Michael Grade that killed both my greatest loves, Doctor Who and wrestling? But no, it was, it was Greg Dyke who killed off wrestling. Well, both your greatest loves, Doctor Who. Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes Doctor Who, love, wrestling. Doctor Who, wrestling, but not your wife. <laughs> or your son. Or your you know, son. One that, one that I can think of right now. Um, <laughs> what's the matter? As far as I know, Michael Grade has never tried to kill my wife. As far as you know. As far as I know. <laughs> but there we go. Anyway, this story, as of this point, we're, we're kind of on the, 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 the tip of the mountainside and we're going to go sliding down into the abyss after this. So I'm this sorry, story's... are you now saying that from the end of the second episode being crap and really bad, that's now the high point? It's like a mountain in a rubbish dump. <laughs> but we're now going to go sliding into the kind of like bin juice below. Right, and it's mainly that there's so much side switching going on in this entire story it gets to the point of utter confusion and there's a scene later on that I will pinpoint as an underline to this but it's like you've got right the the medical crew going to dress up as Dalek troopers and then you've got some Daleks on the side of the Supreme Dalek some Daleks are now on the side of Davros Davros can change people's to, to like to um be on his side with just a mere touch of his prick. It's just really kind of wishy-washy as far as side. You know, initially to say that first battle scene, crap laser quest though it was, at least you knew it was bad side versus good side. Now we're just descending the realms of farce. But you're actually disagreeing with some of your own points. In what way? You said it was bad at the start. And that you didn't really care about who was fighting who, in the, and now it's now you're saying that's a really important. No, I'm saying so you know who excite who everyone is. You, I didn't say you wouldn't care, but I'm saying that it was at least easily laid out. Whilst it was a crap scene, as I say, it was you at least had Daleks bad guys to defend the prison ship. Good, fine, that's okay. We can set up from that. Now it's like, oh well, they've changed into Dalek costumes trooper costumes and so they are now on that side but then you've got some Daleks that are this side some Daleks are the other side and uh, Stein's flipped sides as well Yeah, everyone is some kind of double agent in this it shows the fluidity of a combat situation Cameron, you would understand if you were in the exposition wars Um, (laughs) yes there, there is quite a lot of people who have unclear loyalties at points you walk in a room with people dressed all in black plastic and you don't know if they're on the side they're dressed as or if they're just pretending to be on that side. And I think that's fair enough. And yes, there's a schism in the Dalek culture where some people are for the Supreme Dalek and some people are for Davros, but they've not gone around to spray painting themselves different colours yet. No, so which they, 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 they will do by the time Remembrance of the Daleks come around. Yeah. Which is much better than this. Or much worse than this, depending on what I get to at that point. <laughs> Um, anyway, we're waiting on also the world's slowest ambulance. Once again, NHS cutbacks. And then now Tegan and the medical woman with the crap glasses, whose name I can't remember. Uh, that's Professor Laird. Professor Laird, right there we go. 
they are trying to concoct what I can only describe as the worst disguise in the world. What is the point in even making an effort when they admit themselves it's crap? Yeah, it's the old uh, bomb in the bed sheets trick, which I always thought was a bit of an unfair nickname for Janet Fielding. Oof. Oof. Dear Lord. <coughs> we couldn't possibly comment. Is Janet no. in the back of the van as well? Is she in the back of the van? <laughs> Who knows? She ran out the warehouse at the end of the episode. The van could still be there. The oh, come on. Spoilers now. Spoilers. Yeah. Dave, Dave, go in the car park and check. The, the doctor works out that the Daleks can't really kill him because they need him alive for his brain patterns. Yeah. Which they um, don't, really, because they could just clone him and then kill him. Well, yeah. And this is a problem I was going to have with the whole Dalek plan. And it, it kind of a little bit more later on. Tegan has spent, up until now, pretty much this entire episode, lying down in a bed. She hasn't got a lot to do in this entire thing, really. For this being her final exit story, she ain't doing a lot. She is quite underutilised. She doesn't get a kind of heroic final moment. She doesn't get, well, I say, we'll discuss her exit scene in a little bit. (laughs) But up until this point, she has nothing to do. Yeah, she's largely underused. She runs around screaming a bit, gets injured, lies down for a while, then makes her bed, basically. None of the companions are particularly well served in this story, really. Turlow doesn't have a lot to do either. He just seems to be spending a lot of time just wandering about, creeping around in corridors in the shadows. Yeah. Well, Turlow at least has some kind of forward planning going on. Sneaky though it is, and kind of like, you know, said with the sort of like rubbing his hands together, oh, if we do this and do this, because obviously this is a guy who originally was introduced to kill the doctor. Yeah. Um, he's the one who, in the next one, gives the medical crew who are trying to get off the ship the bright idea of maybe just using the time corridor and not blowing the place up, which I feel is a quite good idea. Why don't we just go out the way I came in? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So why would they not? At least Turlo is doing something towards the story and trying to like steer folk in sort of certain directions. Yeah, they've spent two years stationed on a prison ship with a big fancy self-destruct button on it. <laughs> and now you're going to lose your job. You know, fuck. I want to push that button before I leave. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Let's point the joint down um, and run. All right. Davros ends up getting another recruit. I don't know if this is the bit where he ends up getting a bespeckled white-coated doctor, not that one, who um, has nothing to say at all in this entire story. No lines, no dialogue, no action, nothing. Who, shock horror, dies as well later on. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Yeah. Is he a doctor or the fella from Buggles? I yeah, I actually, yeah, I was trying to remember what he looked like, and yeah, you're right, aye. Definitely hinted to Trevor Horn about him. Yeah, there's then the the medical crew end up getting into the, um, is this the bit where they're in the bomb room? I do have a note here that says, did they not think to shut the door, because these Dalek troopers come in and slay them all, don't they? Mm, yeah, This is right. the bit where Rula Lenska exits. Yeah, she suffers some intense physical damage, so it's just like her home life at the end of Hey! 
Now I've sat there and thought, are we going to go there? Are we going to go do the domestic violence charges? <laughs> yeah, we probably will end up going Broke the theme there. tune, sang the theme and tune, theme beat tune. the wife. <laughs> Why? Yes, there we go. You knew yeah. we were going to go there. I did. I, I just, I give in now. I'm at the stage where I'm just like, yeah, it's going to happen, probably. Turlo is so definitely off this ship. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on? Oh, we'll move on. Um, I've got down here as well that Tegan is moving rather well for being concussed. (laughs) Moving rather well for being concussed and being in a tight leather skirt and high heels. Perfect for escape plans and general movement. Because she, the the, Professor Laird tells her to just, you know, leave, go, run now. Where she's going to run to, I don't know. Um, But she ends up exiting the warehouse and being chased by the aforementioned fakey police, who then decide to not shoot her, but just shoot some random guy who's fishing in the Thames next to her. Well, you don't want to be predictable with your violence, do you? Do you not, Dave? Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. Everyone knows that you don't witnesses, so the first people you kill are the witnesses. It's obvious. Obviously, of course, of course. Davros then is getting more people, Plus, more recruits, as he calls them. Well, fishing without a license. Ah, sorry. Yeah, of course. Davros, in the past, has Davros not just been able to convince people to kind of do his own bidding by just subtle negotiations and subtle pointers? Yeah. Whereas in but... this, Whereas in this story... It's just a case of, well, we'll skip all that and we'll just have him just, like, prick folk. And that's it. He's evolved. I'd, <laughs> I'd argue he's de-evolved from that point. He, he doesn't have to use his conversation anymore. He can just go straight to the prick. Is this what is this what 90 years of being in dry ice does? I think it's what 90 years of being in prison might do. Fuck the conversations, go straight to the prick. <laughs> Maybe. And there's also the bit where we find out that the there's duplicates of people, and the whole plan yep. is to duplicate the Doctor using his thought patterns, and he will then go to Gallifrey and assassinate the High Council. Yes. Would they not just regenerate? Not if they were killed by the Doctor. I don't know. Probably. But it seems a pretty <laughs> shit plan to send a Doctor to assassinate the High Council. When they'd all just regenerate, wouldn't they? But maybe they're thinking it'll cause some kind of civil war when the favourite son comes back, even though he's not the favourite son. He's not the favourite son. Or Depends he's not the, the favourite son or daughter. <gasps> Hashtag not my daughter. <laughs> so yeah, that, that would be my point. It seems like a pretty shitty plan that they've made it, up with. It doesn't seem very well thought out. No. For the Daleks knowing what they know... Knowing that the Doctor can just regenerate. Knowing surely that the High Council do exactly the same. An assassination plot seems a little bit ill-advised. Maybe the Daleks knew the secret of the Doctor's genetics and knew that the Doctor was the time child. Maybe it was that far ahead of itself. Yeah, but surely that's even worse because they'll just keep regenerating endlessly. (laughs) Maybe. Probably. And the Doctor will regenerate with them. So it's a stupid uh, plan. We can agree on that. At this juncture, the court would like to make it known that it appreciates that both sides have completely ignored the presence of bubble wrap in this scene. That the doctor lies down like he's going to be sent out next day delivery on Amazon Prime. 
I'd like to make the judge know that that was going to be my next note. <laughs> Proceeds. <laughs> that um, he does seem to be sat in. He seems to be sat in a load of bubble wrap. I feel I've had my thunder taken. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's 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 kind of execution by Blue Peter, um, <laughs> which is fitting. Which is it's but once again we're back to John Leslie. It's amazing what we can do with sticky back plastic. Yeah. And and the oh, screaming. Amateur chemistry go. set. Um, your back's all sticky. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Davros is stealing Daleks now, left, right, and centre, to his cause because he needs living Dalek tissue. 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 Not tissue like any normal person, but tissue. Tissue. Yeah. And we discover that the cylinders that were in the warehouse that were being guarded by the bomb squad, who have now themselves been replicated because they are now evil as well, is the cylinders of the Mavellan virus that will kill off the Daleks. And the whole plan was to get a bomb squad to guard them because that would not raise suspicion. I feel once again we're sliding slowly more and more into the bin juice. It's not good. I mean, you can pick holes in it all you want, and I know that's kind of what we're here for you to do. <laughs> so, so we're kind of here for, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that's the point of it. Yeah, we should stop doing it so well. Sometimes it's quite annoying. <laughs> I just I sit there watching this, going, "What would Dave say?" <laughs> Here's what Dave would say. Well, let's go. So you mean that you don't actually believe many of the points you've been making, Cameron? You're making a mockery no, I just, of this I, whole just event. I just, I just, I just. Slip myself into your persona, Dave. Nice. Slip yourself yeah. into how, how dare you bring the integrity of this fine podcast into review? That's the last time we invite you on. Mm. <laughs> Once again, we've got... Um, uh, I've got a note here saying Tegan gets about a bit. Um, Nothing to do with the episode. It's, it's just a random... Bomb in the bedsheets. We then get an acting masterclass from Rodney Buse because for some bizarre reason, the Daleks have once again left and let a human being who they don't necessarily trust or admire in any way to do the critical act of copying the doctor's brain patterns over but they do trust them because they think he's completely under their control and they don't have hands to push the levers yeah but the why design why do would they design levers that they can't fucking operate why would they use voice contact when they could just use fucking wireless signals between each other for the good of the story? You're back to the ex- they... exposition wars again. Yes, we are. Some of us never left. Some, well, some of us still think we're there. And yeah. I'll explain for why. Um, <laughs> no. So, yeah, I was just saying, why have the Daleks trusted a human to copy the Doctor? Why is that thing would they not do that bit themselves it kind of smacks of the whole james bond thing where it's like going no mr bond i expect you to die i will leave you alone with these mutant sharks with lasers and i shall bugger off leaving you to attend to your very escape bye bye i will not stay and watch or anything it's exactly that it's the exposition wars they, they could like... stay there and watch and do it themselves but it's kind of pointless do the exposition wars still give you the shakes always well, actually, I get the shakes, and then it's because of the exposition wars. It's, it's not quite the same thing. It's a different flow. We then have... Blah, blah, blah. I've got, yeah, Dalek Trooper stolen the bomb room. I think we've covered that already. Yep, yep. Uh, Tegan ends up getting sent to the Dalek ship, conveniently enough. It's the only thing she's done for the whole storyline. Yep. Professor Laird is then shot. The Doctor's memory's going backwards. It's a nice little kind of, like, um, callback to all the previous um, Doctors and 
is it is it really all of them cameron are they all there <laughs> no <laughs> think about what we have learned from the last series and answer the question again are they really all there cameron all no, of them no come to think of it no no john hurt no dr roof not even a sniff of the philip pinchcliffe doctors that were just invented for no reason whatsoever uh, all the ones we knew of at the time. Okay. Well, there. And I've got a note here. Rodney Bews is shit in this. And then. I think that's what they put on the DVD box set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sticker on the front. Rodney yeah. Bews is shit in this. Christ. And then that's it. It just. You end this episode, not on a cliffhanger, but on Davris doing a bit more shouting. Once again, crap cliffhanger. Yeah, the cliffhanger is Davros makes some sort of scientific breakthrough and rants incoherently into the camera. She leaves the audience wondering, A, how the Doctor can get out of this mess, and B, how much Davros's dentist is going to hit the fucking roof when he sees those teeth. I know it's been 19 years, but it would it take a bit of time just to brush them? Maybe, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's obviously not been uh, using any Colgate nah, at all. Yeah. None at all. Not flossing. God no self-care sense. ritual in the prison. And yeah, it's just it's just crap. So yeah, that's my whole point in this one. Cliffhanger's rubbish. Dave, defend uh, the cliffhanger or anything in this episode, uh, about uh, this episode. It wasn't a cliffhanger because it was only the middle of the second part. But we're both <laughs> agreed we're doing the four-part version. <laughs> yes, but when it was originally broadcast, it wasn't a cliffhanger. When they edited it for length, it was a cliffhanger. But it wasn't designed as a cliffhanger when they first broadcast it. So the defence says it didn't happen. Yep. <laughs> Do you Fair enough. Know. It happened, but it didn't at the time. So shh. the rules were different back then. There were different expectations in society. It was acceptable in the eighties. Moving apart for them. Yep. Okay. Cliffhanger resolution. Turns out there isn't one really. Not really, because there's no new need. Because it wasn't really a cliffhanger. It was just shouting. The Doctor is screaming away. Uh, this is what you learn that uh, Peter Davison's got at least four fillings. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Stein can't control his mind, but then suddenly can, and then has to remember the amendment, and then gets a bit confused, and then switches it off. So Doctor saved. They then decide to whack some Dalek Trooper dudes on there instead for no apparent reason, although it'd be a little bit sadistic. Shits, giggles, and torture. Yes, it's given torture. Did you do many of that in the Exposition Wars? It's mostly shits, to be honest. It's the forerunners <laughs> to Roger and Freddy. There was very few <laughs> giggles in the Exposition Wars. Was there? Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. It's one of my main complaints about it, really. There's just no comedy in it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Everyone, is, everyone now seems intent on killing Davros, just to stop him shouting, really. And Lytton is told by the Supreme Dalek of the intent that basically Lytton's been found out. So the intent is that Davros is going to off him every chance in, in the first chance he gets. Yeah. And then I've got down here. There's one point here where the Supreme Dalek says that I can't remember the exact line, but it's someone's in the reception area. Why the hell does a Dalek ship need a reception area? As if for, it's like a branch of the Hilton Empire. For, for cocktail parties with the ambassador. When they just the Dalek what pile of Ferrero Rocher on top of it. <laughs> what? With this, you are really spoiling us. Exactly. 
Right, it's just a question I had to ask. I put it in big capitals. It's maybe just the name of an area on their ship. Maybe it's where they have meetings. Yeah. Where, when there's a new intake of Daleks, that's where they get chatted to. Yeah. Well, welcome to your first day on board. This is the Supreme Dalek. We don't talk to him. You know, that kind of thing. This don't... is Dav Ross. We kind of don't talk to him either, because he's only the guy that puts together and created us, but, you know, why bother with him? Uh-huh. He's been on he's been an Ultravox video for 90 years. You know, we've got to give him a break for something. If you see any Daleks that are definitely coloured paint, don't make stock contact with them. They don't like that. Um, did you just say don't make stock contact with them? Yeah. It's the Daleks. <laughs> if I contact them. <laughs> Yeah. There's some sufficient we'll find out about later. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um da, 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 da. So this is the kind of the scene we get now is the fact that the doctor wants to go and kill Davros and yes. he's standing there in front of Davros with a gun. Says that he's hesitated to kill the Daleks once before. Which I'm assuming is Genesis. I would imagine so, yes. Aye. Um, and then Davros tries to convince him that he was going to reprogram the Daleks but to give them compassion yeah. because that's the only way he can see of them getting out of the locked situation that they had with the Mavellans which was when two races of completely logical beings were outfoxing each other every step of the way before the other one had even thought of it kind of idea yeah. And they were just locked in this ever-decreasing circle of combat. So he wants to put compassion in there because he feels that would give them an advantage. Yeah, can I just point out that that's a different sitcom. Rodney Buse was not in ever-decreasing circles. Briars, it's Richard Briars. Okay, yeah. Oh, we're, yeah so we're, we're not doing Paradise Towers, Cam. Just, just, just pointing out. Oh, but when we are. When we are. Because <laughs> that is brilliant or shite, depending on which one I get. Right. <laughs> right. It's a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, think you might come down on either side of that argument. I could. I could. It depends on where we draw. I don't know. The Doctor cannot kill Davros. He can't bring himself to shoot Davros. So Which he ends up just with his character. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit strange that after you know eight hundred and fifty odd years of pacifism, he's saying that he decides I oh, quite fancy a bit of the murdering. But the thing is, earlier we were talking about how. He's got a gun and he hates the Daleks and he's willing to just fuck up a Dalek at the nearest opportunity. Here he is with the creator of the Daleks and he suddenly can't do anything. He can, but he won't. Exactly. He doesn't He doesn't do it. He doesn't go through with it. Again. Do you think it's just that he can't kill something with a face? Maybe. Even a face like that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a melted rubber face, oh. but it's a face. It's a face still. It's what he's hey, come on. Face. The guy's been in prison for 90 years. So you'd have bags under your eyes as well. Yeah, but not all the way to my knees. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have the scene that I was talking about before. When I say that there's too much flip-flopping between sides in this one, there's the scene outside this room in which the fella who's helping Stein from the medical crew ends up being confronted by Dalek troopers. Stein gets up and says, oh no, it's okay, they're ours. Then he says, no, they're not, it's Dalek troopers. And they end up having a shootout. Yep. Yep. So even the characters aren't sure who's on what side. (laughs) And I'd wager at this point, nor the viewers. Quite possibly, but that's the whole point. It's confusion, it's the fog of war. 
nobody knows what's going on. I think there's the fog of war, Dave, and then there's just the absolute fucking brick wall. <laughs> because you cannot see anything on the other side. It's honestly. friendly fire. It's confusion. It happens in war all the time. Is that and what happens in the expedition wars? No. <laughs> how long were you down in trenches for, Dave? You know, there's actually a really good story about how I ended up in the trenches. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> Tell us about that, Dave. That'll be in my other podcast. Ah, I see. So yeah, this scene is basically this entire story admitting that it hasn't really got a foggiest idea what's going on. It's, the, the story has lost control of itself here. I think the catering budget was getting too big, so they thought, we've got too many extras here. <laughs> Let's knock half of them off. Just have them yeah. kill each other, fuck it. So they all kill each other, and they've, it, yeah. it's just they've no idea what's to do in the, this one. So you've got Dalek Troopers versus copies of the bomb disposal unit back at the warehouse. Yep. You've also then got um, they've they've got the doors to the self-destruct chamber, and they've got the hole that they blew through originally to kill Rulalenska. Hmm. Rodney Buse ends up trying to access the self-destruction chamber, walks around the corner, sees two guards at the door, and then just goes, Ugh. and then just walks around the other corner and goes, oh, there's a hole in the wall. Why have they not put guards on the hole in the wall? Because they didn't think of it. They the thought we're, troopers. we're up against Dalek types here. Must be logical. Cover the doors. Well, we're up against Dalek types. They won't be able to get over that little bit of wall that's left over. The Dale, only person you can properly put in charge of a hole in the wall was Dale Winton, and he wasn't available then. So. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. I think he um, had a different hole in the wall at that time in his life. <laughs> We then get careful, careful now. I feel I'm interrupting the judge here, by the way, by carrying on with this. Oh, no, no, it's, it's fine. Carry on. Because yeah, the judge fine. is just enjoying the storytelling while he drinks. <laughs> we then get the uh, final battle, which is uh, on in the warehouse, because Turlow and Tiger have managed to get back there through the time corridor. And this final battle is completely muddied, because once again, you don't know who's on what side. There's no distinction between these Daleks. They're all just kind of arguing with each other and just shooting each other randomly. You can't get invested in it. There's no bad guys anymore in it, because everyone's a bad guy. Who cares then? You're just effectively just watching Daleks just mindlessly shoot each other. Nothing wrong with that. I'd watch half an hour of that. But it's like, well, who's on what side? Who's winning here? Is it the Supreme Dalek? Is it Davros? Who's winning here? We don't know. We don't want either side to win, so it's a good thing that they're killing each other off. Oh, God. It just makes it a dangerous situation, but we don't care if people are dying because they're not really people. They're just Daleks. The one doctor's th- running around putting... Sorry, Lee. That's what I was just going to say. One fella in the cap of the scene is perhaps the hammiest death in Doctor Who history. That's saying something. Yeah, or the soldier that gets shot. It takes probably about, you know, 30-odd seconds to finally hit the deck. Ah, he pulls a tent. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. It's like a, a reverse mm-hmm. Neymar. Yeah. Stays in his feet for as long as possible before eventually falling to the ground. <laughs> I love reverse Neymar. I tried that once and you dislocated my hip. Yep. <laughs> I think that was a yoga position, was it not? Yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to do, just like to breathe in gently, we're going to do the reverse Neymar. Careful not to whack your arse on the floor before you hit it. <laughs> After which, we'll be contemplating the crouching Andy Townsend. 
Ah, the crouching tone bend. I think I actually pulled a hamstring doing the leaping cantona for that one as well. <laughs> Not the sickly Anderton. No. <laughs> oh, man. I was watching the, the replay Euro 96 of the night on ITV and I forget that Anderton played. I was like, Jesus. He actually played in Euro 96. Actually played um, at all. Yeah, at all. Yeah. It's, um Wow. So then we get, um, yeah, we get the Doctor putting the bongs on the Daleks, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. But then I feel we need to discuss the Dalek death scenes in this. Because, oh boy. <laughs> Symbolism much. Well, who has it decided? Bearing in mind one of them has exploded before when they shoved it out of a window, that Daleks should die... By effectively spunking themselves to death. I think that was an homage to being in London and the Daleks were in a bit of soapy bubble. They <laughs> <laughs> just caught the driving slang deaths. And also, let's not forget, this is with John Nathan Turner and Gary Downing, year of Doctor Who. You can probably put the puzzle pieces together here, Cameron. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know what the judge means. Save us, Davros. We are finished. We are finished. <laughs> I would implore the judge. I would implore the judge. The I swear of... this has never happened before. I would implore the judge of the courtroom to think of the children. <laughs> no, that's what's um... got trouble before. <laughs> well, he's and uh, yes, was there just a buy one get one free on shaving foam? <laughs> yeah. Like. Boots that day or something. Johnny's gone to Superdrug. Yes, because oh, this is the the absolute pits as far as death scenes go. It looks ridiculous. Is it bubbling bin juice? Is that the level we're at now? <laughs> that is, we are we are deep in the bin juice. We are knee deep in bin juice for this one. Stein activates the bomb by kind of just flopping on it. He doesn't even get like a heroic kind of like final push forward before he's shot dead. He just literally goes Bleh, and it's just like kind of like a, a flailing salmon. Also at this point we have to ask, why does the Supreme Dalek have a direct line into the TARDIS? Because <laughs> he seems to just have the ability to appear on the screen and go, we have people in various positions on Earth. They're not stable. So obviously that accounts for Boris Johnson. And then we have um, everything just explodes and once again being Eric Sayward script, everyone dies. Apart from Lytton. Apart from Lytton, who manages to sneak out. Uh, I've been told by my son, by the way, to point out that he was watching this, killing himself laughing because he couldn't get the fact of Lytton the Pokemon out of his head. Nice. Because <laughs> he was like, why have they named him Lytton? Because that's a little fiery cat. And this is before we move on to possibly a terrible, terrible exit for Tegan. Can, before we get to that, can I just say, sure. if the Doctor was a Pokemon, which Pokemon <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I've got the mid-year theme tune somewhere. Let me just find a hard drive. I've got, um, I'd, have think, to, I'd have I to think, ask Kyle for this one. Yeah, I think John Barman would be Pikachu, because he's annoying, noisy, and goes everywhere. Yep. Have a chew. No, I think um, John Barman would be a Squirtle. I'm leaving it at that. <laughs> Directly influenced um, by the ending of this episode. Yes. That, or it might be both members of Team Rocket. Yep. 
depending on the day. Anyway, we were talking last, um, when we did the Green Death. Yes. We were talking about companion exits. Hmm. Yeah. So how the hell does this rate as far as Tegan's exit goes? That that, that isn't really an exit. Yeah, she just almost kind left of, at the end going, what, what, that's it, she's gone? She flounces off. She's not given any kind of like, this is what she's going to be in her future. She doesn't even get back to Heathrow. They don't drop her off she's at the not, airport. She's be not fine told what she's that. brought to the doctor. What she's prepared. She's just like, oh, well, I suppose if you have to go, you have to go. Yeah. It's yeah. not and exactly then, befitting of a character that's been there for nearly four years, really, is it? No. Yeah. And then she just has to kind of wander around the corner and then the TARDIS disappears with uh, the Doctor and Turlow in it. And Tegan kind of has a scene where she kind of like, she comes back in. She, she runs back again. Yeah. In a way that kind of makes you think, has she changed her mind? But then she hasn't because she just sits there and goes, oh, Braveheart, Tegan. Off she goes. But we don't know what she's going to do. At least with Joe at the end of Green Death, you knew what she was going to do. She was going to get married. She was going to go up the Amazon. She was off on another new adventure that maybe didn't involve the Doctor because, as we said, she she'd found her human Doctor equivalent. But in this, it's literally a case of she just, yeah, um, well, it takes the Mickey. She just vanishes off and just walks off in effectively a strop. Yeah. It's a terrible exit for a companion who was pretty well regarded. She's also fairly constant Mm. for a long time. Exactly. Exactly. And as, as we're saying, for four years, you know. I could appreciate the fact that it was Donna and she just pissed off. That's great, because it's Donna. <laughs> just wipe her memory, send her away. <laughs> wipe her memory, send may her I, away. May I, may I remind the prosecution to return to the matter in hand? Okay. You will have your chance. And that's it. It's a terrible companion exit. Yeah, that's quite, it's she quite disrespectful. She through the whole episode, and then that's it. it. It's almost like she said she was definitely leaving and they just didn't bother giving her anything. Yeah. It was it's disrespectful. Like, it was. It's, it's terrible. It's a terrible exit. They may have just flashed up in big bold letters on screen. Contract not renewed. Yep, pretty much. Leaving now. Can't think of anything to do with our... Can't even be bothered filming a simple scene that just pretends to be on an airport somewhere that could double as Heathrow, saying, oh, well, there you go, Tegan. You wanted to get to Heathrow. Here we finally are. Thanks, Doctor. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. Bye bye. And at least you know she's off to be an air stewardess again after having all these adventures. Yeah, great. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah, she wants. She just wants to calm down a little bit. I can appreciate the fact that if you've had all that time travel and you've been all there, and yes, she has seen a lot of death because she's just been in an Eric Sauerbrod script. But <laughs> um, she's, you know, at least then it would be, you know, you'd know what she was doing afterwards, and that'd be great. And you could think, oh well, that's what Tegan's off to now. But at this one, you're like, I've no idea. She could yes. still be walking around the docks. Yeah, she's just dumped in the East End of London in 1984. Yeah. No passport, no money, no way to get home. No, no way to get home. Four years not after even, she went missing. Not even a jacket. Yep. <laughs> Sat on a street corner in a short leather skirt. Yeah. Waiting for someone to pick her up. So she probably made some money and got a flight home or, you know. No, probably. Yeah, yeah, heroin. Yeah. I've got a series of new adventures novels by the sounds of it. Yep. Talk about big, big finish. Big finish ain't going to do with the release ones. 
Yeah, and big finish. Big finish will release Tegan Jovanka, the red light years, in 2021. <laughs> An 18-CD <18 CD> box set. <laughs> yes. The Pokemon crossover. Um, yeah, so there you go. Dave, have you got anything to say in defence of uh, this episode or the entire story? In many ways, this is quintessential classic Doctor Who. Um, you've got the Daleks, because that's what you need in classic Doctor Who. Wipe that look off your face, young man. But it's a dark story. If if somebody was writing a list of what they'd want in a classic Doctor Who story, you want the Doctor being confused all the time because he doesn't know what's going on. A cheeky bit of double cross action. The Daleks. Pointless plot ideas that don't make any sense and don't cross anywhere, which is, you know, the time tunnels. The things that bring it down are Tegan's exit, but companions leave. You can't do much about that. She could have been given a better send-off, but she could have signed a contract. Fuck her, she's dead. <laughs> it was nice that they brought in the schism inside the Dalek race, where it was between the two different leaders. It was nice that they showed that it's not just the Doctor that fights the Daleks all the time as well. Somebody actually tried to keep him in a prison ship. They didn't do very well, and they had a shitty self-destruct system, but they could have done it. So I think this is largely classic Doctor Who. It ticks all the boxes. It's got the special effects, and then it's not got the special effects. It's got the pure 80s sound effects that I just loved. Like, it, it, it does sound like somebody's just mashing a keyboard that they got for their 12th birthday. And it's pure 80s sound effects. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's what to say about it. This is classic Who at its very best. Gav, wrap up for the prosecution. Resurrection of the Daleks. Let's each other off while we're doing our sum ups. What in hell is. I'm only kidding. Can, can, I just point, can I just point out at this juncture to the audience listening on iTunes or whatever podcast app, just be glad that this is not a video podcast. Everyone the things we were just about stock. to see. <laughs> I think little Dave was just to make an entrance, wasn't he? Um, Dave, you just save your snake for kinder. Cameron, carry yeah. on. Anyway, um, so Resurrection of the Daleks is um, guilty of crimes against Doctor Who for the following reasons. Uh, it's a waste of a returning classic villain. The Daleks um, return after five years away and the first thing they do is retreat and they're sort of submissive to humans and they're just a little bit of a p- pathetic enemy, really. They've been reduced to just inward squabbling. It falls on its own arse as far as it, the story goes along. Because after about episode three, there seems to be just, they can't really be bothered with anything, so who really cares? Um, they has a lot of star power. I say it's got Rula Lenska and it's got Rodney Buse, but neither of them really do anything at all in it. And shock horror, both of them die. It's relentlessly bleak um, in both story and setting. As I was saying, the only thing you've really got is a bleak old warehouse that may have half the story takes place, and then a dingy old prison ship where pretty much the rest of it takes place as well. It has a terrible exit of a much-loved companion, in which, as we've just said, she gets nothing to do at all throughout the entire story, and then she just ups and leaves in a bit of a mood, and uh, we have no idea about what she's doing later on. Everyone seems to switch sides every five seconds, meaning that it's completely devoid of any kind of suspension, uh, a suspense and any kind of um, tension because you know that someone's just going to just switch over any second anyway, whether it just be by um, their own violation or just because it's Davros and his little tiny prick. And it's got terrible, terrible effects. And sometimes they can't even just be bothered putting them in. 
Okay, that's that's a pretty damning uh, <laughs> case for the prosecution. Should we move on to the evidence that we've received? Please do. Yeah. Before we uh, get to the final verdict. So uh, we asked the listeners to get in touch with us on Twitter to give us their opinions on whether this is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Mark Donaldson uh, from On The Time Lash. Oh, is that uh, him? That's him, yeah. Oh, right, okay. You know, you know, you know the, the podcast is still our idea for talking about drinks before they discuss Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Them. A, a legal case is coming. Let's, we'll, we'll see them in court. We'll have uh, Mark says, guilty. Eric Sayward never seems particularly interested in writing Doctor Who, preferring to instead to write grim sci-fi action movies with the paucity of budget and character. This is one or two plot threads too many and amounts to a confused mess of a story. See, that's why his podcast isn't that successful. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I've always, always loved On The Time Lash. <laughs> More than the police box. Um, well, you invited yeah. me first. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Waring got in touch with us to say, Great to see the Daleks back. Some decent guest characters, especially Lytton. Though the prison ship crew and army soldiers are a bit meh and the companions have little to do. Love how the Daleks and Davros try to manipulate each other and the link back to destiny of the Daleks. Not guilty. Ooh, oh. Oh, so 50-50 at the moment. Pretty split on the uh, old public um, gallery at the minute then. Yeah. Yep. Dave? No, I agree. That is pretty split, yeah. Cameron's maths is correct. <laughs> one v one. The only thing he's been correct on so far. 50% either way. Right. Well, we have got a decider as far as listening oh. to evidence goes because we have had uh, Stephen B, who's did styling on Twitter, got in touch with us. Uh, you might need a cup of tea and a biscuit for this one. Awesome. Well, Guil- I've got some red wine. Is that okay? <laughs> that is acceptable, yeah. Okay. Stephen B says guilty. The most interesting idea in the whole thing is the planned duplicate invasion of Gallifrey, which is almost a throwaway. Instead, we get Tegan waiting in a warehouse and the Doctor and Turlow skulking around space corridors where everyone else is being nasty and or being killed. It trades entirely on the imagery of Daleks running around in the ruins of Shadwell Thames uh, in a modern London setting and Davros being shouty while the Daleks are screechy. Nothing of note happens up until the whole damn thing is mercifully blown up before Tegan echoes what the rest of us at home are thinking, namely, saw this for a lark, before leaving in a strop. And like Tegan, we deserve better than this shite. Resurrection of the Daleks is insipid, vacuous gun worship worthy of the NRA, and a pallid excuse for a BBC television show. I think he liked it. Yeah, I, yeah I think he was on the fence. Yeah. Admiration there, I think. Yeah. So I wonder if he saw any bad points in it, because that was just good points he was pointing out as far as I'm concerned. I know, I know, it was just, my God. Yeah. It's relentless positivity. It was getting a bit wearing towards the end of that, wasn't it? It was, yeah. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was getting a bit sickening. Aye. Okay, let's begin summing up then. So, where to start with this one? Uh, it's an episode that's generally well thought of, but how much of that is coloured by the departure of a long-serving companion? Uh, what starts off as a grimly atmospheric story that sees a return of the dialects after nearly five years that promises much... Uh, the crux of which being a power struggle between the faded dictator Davros, his days of power behind him, and the rebellion of his once loyal servants, soon begins to sag under the weight of the same old problems of Eric Saver's script. There's just too much going on, and he's trying to take Doctor Who in a more adult direction. 
what could have been an interesting story is completely derailed by the presence of too many characters just there to act as cannon fodder to the Daleks to satisfy Saber's vision of what the show should become. On one hand, you could argue that the different strands help move the action along and prevent any overlong exposition scenes, like your time in the war, Dave. Yep. But while you could maybe get away with that over a four-week period, when taking the story as a whole, it's just simply too much. Yeah, something drastic would need to happen to convince a companion that returned to the doctor after being accidentally left on Earth to finally say enough is enough and leave. But, you know, couldn't this have been done in a much more personal way of something actually happening to Tegan herself? As it stands, she spends too much of the time in the story running around. Uh, the Patrick story can be given a lot more weight, deserving of a character that's been there for nearly four years. While her leaving scene does hit a little bit of an emotional chord, it still feels somewhat hollow. So there's some really jarring moments, not least the Doctor's sudden switch to cold-blooded murderer in episode four. Uh, there could have been an opportunity yet to do something interesting with Davros, but by the end he slipped back into power mad dictator mode, running like an old alky at a bus stop. It's not like this sort of thing is a one-off either. You begin to see some of the seeds of the problems that reared ahead in the Colin Baker era here. There's no lightness of touch. It's a constant bludgeon of violence for the sake of it. There's a feeling it's been ripped to suit its new drama time slot, with no thought to anything that would make it more Doctor Who. So after hearing the evidence brought before me today, I can con- only conclude that this is one of the great what-ifs of Doctor Who. I missed opportunity, I'm afraid, so I can only conclude, therefore, that it's guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Yes. It's not up to you, Cameron. Thankfully, it's not up to the judge either. <laughs> no, it's, 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 up to, it's up to them people. Who I completely agree with, based on last time. <laughs> well let's put it to those people uh, you people them so like we always say uh, the, the verdict in the courtroom is just a, a just a guide what happens in the end comes down to you so I'm going to put a poll up on Twitter uh, for seven days after this episode goes out you get to decide whether resurrection of the Daleks is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who and we'll reveal results in the next episode in a couple of weeks time now that we're being all regular on that all regular. Right. It's all, it's all the fibre I keep eating. Lots of bran. Yep, lots of bran flakes. I know at this point we would do the envelopes of justice, but we're going to do something different with it this time. We're going to put it on the uh, YouTube channel we've had for about four years and forgot entirely about. Oh, aye. So we're going to film the grand reveal, uh, just to show there's no any skullduggery. Uh, so we'll go ahead and do that. We'll bring that up on the YouTube channel. I'll put a link to it on Twitter, uh, and then you can see what we're going to be talking about in the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Any other business? Very well done. No, I think that's probably enough. That covers it. It's more than enough. It's exactly what the listeners at home are saying. As usual, we've spoken for longer than the actual episodes of Doctor Who. I think I should be fine. <laughs> Never mind. On that note, <laughs> shall we leave? Shall we yes. go now? Yes, let's, let's go. Let's go to YouTube. Shall, shall we say to goodbye, the... boys and girls? We're off to Button Moon. Let's follow Mr. Spoon. Button Moon. Button Moon. Button Moon. (laughs) This, unfortunately, has been episode 24 of the Bullets Box. I've been Lee. I've been Dave. And I think I've probably been Cameron. Hi. Probably. (laughs) At some point. (laughs) We'll see you for the next episode in a couple of weeks' time. Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 